The following audio is the recording of a sermon delivered at St. Rose Community Church. You can visit our website at strosecc.org. Well, good morning, church. Uh, today, as you may see on the screen, we're going to be looking at Psalm 4. Um, and at this time, uh, threes and fours are dismissed. We have the class still today. Perfect. Let's do that. You're dismissed. And also, if you don't have a Bible and you'd like to follow along and read with us, uh, we have someone in the back. So please slip up your hand, and Dustin will be walking down the aisle to give you a Bible. So, last week, we began a brief dive into the book of Psalms. Cole uh, walked us through the intricacies of Psalm 3. And Psalm 3 revealed to us that evil, it may seem very overwhelming. Evil can provide us stress, can provide us grief, but God fights for us and God alone saves us. The trials of David's life were on full display as he was being hunted down by his very own son, Absalom, by his very own armies. They were trying to usurp his authority. They are trying to take away his throne. And David retreated and resorted to the only thing that he knew how to do, to cry out to God and ask for help. And we're going to see a very similar trend today in Psalm 4 of God hearing our cries and blessing us. But this psalm is going to be a little bit different, and the difference primarily relies in its context. You see, like I said last week, the intensity was very evident. You could hear the urgency and the desperation in David's voice as he was crying out to the Lord, Rise up, Lord, save me, O God. He's being hunted, he's in distress. And even in the midst of that intensity and desperation, David, in the end, found rest in the Lord. This psalm, however, has no indication of when it took place in David's life. You see, there are some who believe that Psalm 4 chronologically does follow Psalm 3, that this is another prayer of when he's being hunted by Absalom, but we don't have any proof of this. All we know is that this is a simple prayer of David, a prayer for God to hear him, to deliver him. So, with that, let's read Psalm 4. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself, and the Lord hears when I call to him? Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your own beds, and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Bow your heads and pray with me, please. Lord, be with us. God, hear our prayer, hear our cry. God, give us the wisdom to understand the words of your scripture. God, give us the eyes to see your beauty on display. God, be with us, Father. Be glorified today. God, let these words pierce our hearts and draw us near to you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So, Psalm 4. David begins with an appeal to God. So let's look at verse 1 again. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Some translations will say, 
O God who vindicates me, or O God of my vindication. This is a simple statement saying, you are the one who cleared me from blame. You're the one who took away my debt. This is an immediate recognition of David of who he is and of who God is. David begins his prayer by stating that all of his goodness, all of his righteousness, all of his holiness is only by God's grace. You see, David is asking God to answer his call because he recognizes that all of the good things in his life have only come about by the blessings of the Lord. David's selection of king, his own salvation, David is conceding that that is only by your grace, Lord. So God, because you have heard me once, hear me again. You've answered my prayer once, answered again. And church, this is wisdom on display. We just spent months walking through the Proverbs, talking about how to live in God's world, God's way. And David provides us another example of how to do that right here. He teaches us how to pray, how to submit. David proclaims, you have given me relief when I was in distress. And the verb given relief literally means to make space in a tight spot. This is often translated in the Psalms as rescued. You have rescued, from my, rescued me from my enemies, God. You have rescued me from the depths of Sheol. To put it in our modern vernacular, our modern words, it literally means when I was in a tight spot, Lord, you got me out of it. You brought me through it. So, first, David recognizes that all of his goodness, all of his holiness is only from God. And now he recognizes that his very life, his very safety is also from God. God saved his heart, and God also saved his life. God rescued him internally, his soul, and God rescued him externally, his body. David concedes once again that he is only here by God's own divine providence. And since there is no direct connection to when Psalm 4 took place in history, we don't really know what distress he is referring to when he says, Lord, you gave me relief from this distress. But let's just step back for a moment and think of a few examples of David's life when he was in great distress and he called upon the Lord. You see, last week we discussed David being hunted down by his very own son and his very own armies. That's one. And in then, in that time, he humbled himself and he submitted to the Lord. David was also hunted by Saul and Saul's armies on numerous occasions. David did not have an enviable life. Being hunted down once seemed stressful enough, but it became practically an annual routine for David. And every single time, he humbled himself and submitted to the Lord. David also had wars with the Amalekites, with the Ammonites, with the Philistines. He was a man who knew distress well. He knew it very well, but he also knew that the Lord would bring him through it each and every time. So we don't know what distress God gave, David, or God gave relief to David from here. But what we do know is that God freed David from much. And so after humbling himself, conceding that God is the source of his righteousness, the source of his life, he simply continues his plea. And his plea is simple. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Hear me once again because you've been faithful and you've heard me in the past. And sometimes we may have the tendency to read this prayer and think that David doesn't have confidence in this. 
because praying, hear me, O God, is kind of odd. It doesn't really make sense to us in our context, you know, because we know that God hears us. We know that he's all-knowing, all-seeing. So why would someone pray, hear me, O God? Well, it's not from the lack of confidence. Verse 3 says, But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself, and the Lord hears me when I call to him. You see, David has great confidence in the Lord. In fact, this leads us to our very first truth, which is David knows that God hears him. David knows God hears him. And this is true for us, too. From the lost sinner praying for clarity on what is true in this world, to the devoted follower of Jesus who's been praying every day for 60 years, God hears all of us. God hears our cry. And the Lord not only hears us, but he wants to hear from us. You see, verse 3 again, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. We are his joy and his treasure. He has set us apart for himself, and he wants to hear from us, church. In fact, our prayer glorifies and worships him. The act of praying by nature is humbling and submitting to the Lord. Let's think about it for a second. It takes humility to be still and concede that we are, in fact, not good enough, that we are, in fact, not strong enough. And so we have to get down and we have to pray to the Lord. It takes humility to admit that we need him, and this humility glorifies God. Prayer is worshipful. John Piper says this about prayer. The great ground of hope, the great motive to pray, is God's awesome commitment to his name. The pleasure that he has in his fame is the pledge and passion of his readiness to forgive and save, or in our case, to hear those who lift up his banner and cast themselves on his promise and mercy. God hears us, and he wants to hear from us. David is confident that God will hear him. And this is how David starts. So let's look now at verse 2. Verse 2. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? So notice one thing as this psalm transitions from speaking to God to speaking to men. David speaks to these men with extreme boldness. If this psalm truly does follow Psalm 3 chronologically, and this is him still being hunted by Absalom, then he is speaking to his potential killers with extreme boldness. Or, if this is just a random time in David's life when he's king and he sees that his people aren't following the Lord, he is speaking to his people with boldness and calling them out, saying to turn from your sin. Charles Spurgeon, in his study of Psalm 4, says this, Surely we should all speak the more boldly to men if we had more constant converse with God. He who dares face the maker will not tremble before the sons of men. David has confidence, and, confidence in God and boldness to call out his opposition. Verse 2 again, O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Now, we see this expression, how long, pretty frequently in the Psalms. It's a common prayer, but at the same time, this is also uncommon. We see David and others pray in Psalm 13, 1, how long will you hide your face, O Lord? Psalm 74, 10, how long, O Lord, is the foe to scoff? Or Psalm 79, 5, how long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? 
It's a common prayer of someone who is in anguish and is crying out to God. But the difference is, this time, David's speaking to men. He is in anguish over their sin, and he is calling out their foolishness. And there's a couple things to notice here in verse 2. First, we see the heart of a king who hurts for the lostness of his people. They are seeking lies, and they are destroying themselves. And David pleads with them, how long will you believe in this lie? There's something greater. And second, we also can't help but notice the contrast between David and verse 1, coming before the Lord in complete humility and submission, giving all things to God, and the folly of these people who think they know what's best for themselves, who think they know what is good, and who think they know what the true satisfaction in this life is. There's a vast contrast. And this is when David steps in. And this leads us to our second truth, which is David intercedes for his people. These men insult David's honor, but honestly, that seems to fall by the wayside in the rest of David's prayer. He doesn't mention his own honor again after this verse, but he does recognize that their folly is what is causing their actions. Their foolishness is causing these sins, and he focuses on the sin. He doesn't focus on himself. See, these men in verse 2 are men of stature, or men of status. Your Bibles may note that these are rich men. Some of your translations may even call them, oh, exalted ones. They were prideful, they were arrogant, they were sinful, and they were seeking after something that they would never truly be satisfied with. They were thinking they had it all. How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? David sees their sin and he corrects them. And he points them to a greater truth, to a greater satisfaction in verse 3. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. You're seeking after lies, but know this. The Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. These men are exalting themselves and they are missing out on the better and true exaltation of the Lord. He points them from their lie to the truth of God. And he's like, look at these lies that are following. Look at your life right now. And now look at God. Look how great he is. Do you see the difference? Because you should. You should see that what you're doing is wrong. And everything that they are truly seeking, they're seeking pleasure, they're seeking peace, they're seeking security. All of these things the Lord promises us, and he gives it to us. Their sins have kept them from seeing something or seeing what they should truly be pursuing. They are blinded by their sin. And how often are we like these men, these exalted ones? How often church, or how long church, do we settle for lesser pleasures because it is easier or simpler to do so? How long are we deceived to think that these pleasures are better than what God has to offer? Because they're not. David saw their blind state, and David did not leave them there. He interceded for them. And he points them to God in verse 3, and he calls them to repent. Verse 4 and 5, in their call to repentance, he says, Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. David points these people, his enemies, to God. 
These people are under his kingship, right? They should be submitting to him, but instead they are insulting him. They are calling him out, potentially even trying to kill him. Instead of lashing out in anger, he calls them to repentance. They insult his honor and he points them to God. David recognized that their sins towards him can only be dealt with if their sins towards God are dealt with. We can learn from this, can't we? The way that we solve personal attacks on ourselves is not to lash out in anger, is not to get angry, get aggressive, but instead is to point them towards Jesus. That's the only way we can deal with the heart of the sin issue. He tells them to be self-controlled. Don't be angry. Don't be ruled by your emotions that are tossed and turned. Don't be double-minded. Instead, lie down, meditate on God's word, and be still. We see a very similar command from the Lord himself in Psalm 46.10. says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. David says, be still, men of Israel. Look to the Lord and stop pursuing your own self-satisfaction. Instead, pursue God. Pursue what is greater, the one who truly exalts us. Turn from your ways. David continues and details now what they are to do to repent. He first dealt with what they needed to do to stop sinning, to be still, trust in the Lord and to stop what they're doing, and now he's pointing them what they need to do in its place, right? So he confronted their sin, what they were doing, to stop that, and now gives them an action to do in its place. This is how we should deal with sin. We don't fight sin to simply stop sinning, church. But what we do is we replace our sinful actions with worship of God. That's how we truly repent. We replace our sins with habits that glorify him, and that's what David does in verse 5. David says in verse 5, to offer right sacrifices, to put your trust in the Lord. These words and these verses are reminiscent of the words in Peter in the book of Acts. When Peter is asked about what is needed to be done in order to be saved, he simply responds to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. He told them to turn from your ways and place faith in God. David does that here. David says, turn from what you're doing. Repent, offer sacrifices, and put your trust in the Lord. David wants the salvation of those who are pursuing him. David wants them to be redeemed. David wants them to follow the Lord in obedience. David wants them to place their trust in the Lord, and he wants their sins their sins against him, to be atoned for. Now, I wanted to wait until the very end to get to Jesus, to tie it all into Christ. But how can I not bring it up right now? How can we not see Christ in every single word of this psalm that is being said? Think about it like this. This man is being pursued by prideful men who have bought into a lie. These men are actually his people, that he was put in charge over. They have insulted his name, and they are worshiping themselves instead. And instead of responding in anger, he responds in compassion, calling for the ones persecuting him to turn from their wicked ways and to see that God is good. He tells them to be self-controlled, 
and to rest in God, to trust in Him and to have your sins atoned for. Church, this is Jesus. Do you see this? Now, obviously, Psalm 4 was written before Jesus came, but by the grace of God, He has come now, and we can see the true promise of this text. We can see that Jesus did this for us. We have a loving king that is interceding for us, that is calling us back into the fold of God, even though we've been running away for so long. Though we do things that completely go against him, completely oppose his truth, oppose his name, he is still pleading with us to come back and to repent. We have a loving king who is doing this for us right now, and all we need to do is repent, to trust in God, to offer right sacrifices. Now, what should we sacrifice? You might ask. It's a great question. So, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that the testing that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and what is acceptable and perfect. This is how we respond to his grace, church. Without his intervention, we were lost without hope. Without his intervention, we would be pursuing a lie. Without his intervention, we would be loving what is worthless. And that's what we were. We were lost without hope. But the Lord restored our sight. We were blinded by sins. He restored our sight. And David is intervening for his people. And he is doing this for them right now. Without David's intervention, these men would be lost without hope. Without David's intervention, these men would be pursuing a lie. Without David's intervention, they would be loving what is worthless, thinking they knew what's going on, living their lives for their own self-satisfaction until they die and realize that they were wrong. David is intervening for them. And I want to point you back to verse 1 and see that David began this process by submitting himself to the Lord. He submitted his righteousness and his own deliverance to God, that only by God he is good. David is praying right now that God do the same thing for these men. Save them, O God. Redeem them. Turn them from their wicked ways. Hear my cry. The Lord restored David's sight from his own sin, and now David is pleading for his people to see again too. David intercedes for his people like Jesus interceded for us. So David now asks a rhetorical question and a rebuttal of these people. There are many who say, verse 6, there are many who say, who will show us some good? Listen to David's response. Who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. Yes, we were lost without hope, but God found us. Yes, we did not see the good anywhere in this world, but God showed us his face, and he is good. In response to his goodness, we offer our own lives as a living sacrifice for him, meaning that we live our lives with the sole purpose to praise and worship and glorify God with everything that we do. This is our purpose, church. That's the age-old question. What is our purpose in life? That is it, to live for God with every breath that we take. Who will show us some good? These people say, God will show us some good. 
Who will show us some good? These people ask. The Lord pours out his goodness upon us every single day. And this psalm says it more elegantly and beautifully than I ever could. Who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. See him, church. Lift up your eyes to him and see that he is good. God does not need to give us anything to be good. He simply is just good. That is who he is entirely by himself. But by grace, he showed us his goodness and he saved us. We are to offer our lives as a sacrifice in response to that and worship him and serve him. But verse 5 doesn't simply say offer right sacrifices and end. It also says to trust in the Lord. Worship without faith is nothing. We must have faith. We must have trust in the Lord. And Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says this, to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight all of your paths. Church, this is freeing. If we just simply have trust in the Lord, we are free from the burden of placing our hope in men who fail us. If we simply have trust in him, we are free from placing our hope in this just faulty foundation the world has to offer. We are free from trying to do everything by ourselves and leaning on our own strength because now we can lean on him. And his promise is that he will make straight all of our paths. Trust in him, church. And David finishes his prayer like how he began it in humility and in confidence. Verse 7 and 8, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound, and in peace I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord. Make me dwell in safety. And this leads us to our third truth. David finds peace in the Lord. David's final words were both a praise to God and a display to his enemies that the Lord provides What the Lord provides for us is far greater than what the world has to offer. Remember, these were men of status. These were men of riches, the exalted ones. He is saying what you have on your best day is nothing compared to what God has to offer. That the smallest sliver of grace from God is greater than the best of the best of what the the world has to offer. And people of this age, they were farmers. They farmed to live. And so when he says that when your grain and your wine abound, he is simply saying that you have peace, that you're not worried about what you're going to eat tomorrow. You have security that you're not going to starve because the crops have been plentiful. And you have pleasure with all of the food and with all of your wine. But all of the food, all of the drink, all of the pleasure, all of the security that the world has to offer is utter garbage for what God offers us. God gives us more, more joy, more peace. And in this peace, we can truly rest. Verse 8, David says he will lie down and sleep. He has no worries. He has no fear. Reminder, this is the same man who has been hunted multiple times. I can only imagine if I was hunted once, I wouldn't be able to lie down and sleep because the PTSD alone would be keeping me up in fear all night. 
I wouldn't be able to lay down and think that I can sit for a second because I know that there's someone out there that wants to kill me. David has this fear, but because of the Lord, he says, I can lie down, I can meditate, I can be vulnerable, I can have peace because God is good. He has no fear. And in the world, there's a million stressors in our daily lives. In church, we know these stresses well. Finances, crime, the ever-looming threat of a hurricane that may just come and wipe out St. Rose completely, death. I can go on and on and on about our stresses, our pain, our fear. But God knows our pain. God knows our stress. And God hears our cry. And he gives us peace. He alone makes us dwell in safety. And even when we are not in safety, like David often found himself, we still sing praise be to God because he is still good despite our situation. Regardless of what we are in, God is still good. He's still faithful. He still loves us. He still spared our soul from eternity and damnation. Praise be to God. Now, for you believers in the room, Psalm 4, I pray that this psalm gives you encouragement, and I pray that it gives you hope, and that it leads you to worship God, because he has many blessings that he's poured out upon us. I hope it leads you to offer your own life as a living sacrifice and true repentance. I hope that you feel secure knowing that God hears you, that you are not alone, that we have a living hope and a living security that's far greater than anything this world has to offer. And I pray that you have peace and comfort like no other. Now, more specifically for the believers in the room who are in a hard season, I pray this psalm reminds you of the peace of God and his loving arms. I pray that it reminds you that our God never changes and that he is still good despite our bad situation that God is still present, that God still hears you, and that God wants to hear from you. You are his, his workmanship, his pleasure. He wants to hear from you. He loves you. Lay your burden down at his feet and cry to him. He is faithful to hear it. And for those in the room who have not placed faith in Jesus, I pray that you reread this psalm, but reread it as Jesus himself praying this prayer. Because Jesus right now is in heaven interceding for you. He has already paid our debt and he is pleading with you to simply to believe what you are doing, what you are following. It is not good. Come see what is greater. Whatever you are struggling with, Jesus has already paid for it. He's already bore so much more. And I understand that you may be hurt. You may have been misled. Someone's hurt you. Maybe a believer, maybe someone in the church. I don't know. But God loves you, God hears you, and God can heal you. Jesus is interceding for you. Please, please repent. You are loved and you are not forgotten. Come to Jesus. Now, to recap the four truths, uh, or the three truths, sorry, of Psalm 4. So David knows that the Lord hears him. David intercedes for his people, and David finds peace in the Lord. I'm going to leave you with one application. The one application 
is simply to follow David's example. Pray intercessory prayers for the lost. While this is an encouraging psalm that is calling us to remember the Lord is good, that the Lord hears us, that we have security and peace in Him, it's also an example of what we should follow. This lifestyle that David is living right now isn't just one that we get to look at and say, oh, that's really cool. I'm glad he did that. No, it's one that we should be living ourselves. We should be actively interceding for those that we love. David had anguish for his people because they weren't following the Lord. They weren't following God. And he saw that, and he knew they couldn't remain in that state. And he interceded for his people Church, pray intercessory prayers for those who are lost, who need Jesus. We all know someone that needs this hope. How often are we crying out to God for God to hear us and to save their souls? How often are we broken in anguish for those that are hurting that don't know the Lord? Church, follow David's example. Have anguish over the lost, but give it to the Lord and find peace in him. He wants to hear from you. Don't leave them in blindness, because like David, he didn't leave his people in blindness. All right, let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for being a loving Father that hears us when we call. Jesus, thank you for being a loving Savior that is interceding for us and that loved us so much that you gave your life for us. And you gave your life to restore our sight, to see the error of our ways, that we can lean on you and have peace in you, Lord. God, I pray that you continue to grant us this peace. We, we praise you, God. We worship you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.